The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garam Perry columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're catching up with Peter Bird. Peter is Executive Chairman of Zenith Minerals. It trades under the code ZNC or Zulu November Charlie. It last traded at 12.5 cents for an undiluted market cap of about 36 million. Zenith is a gold and copper explorer across projects in Queensland, Western Australia and a little part of New South Wales. The projects have been assembled by Zenith's technical team over the last three years or so. Each of the projects has the potential to become a game changer for the company with its current modest market cap, something Garen Perro is always attracted to. More to the point is that a $5 million capital raising earlier this year has provided the funding for Zenith to get busy with drilling programs at the projects. There'll be lots of interest in the respective drilling programs, with Zenith's offering of both gold and copper as target commodities, plus its spread of projects between Queensland, WA and New South Wales, making it somewhat unique in the junior exploration space. Now, we all know the Aussie gold price has come off a bit recently, but the current price remains fantastic, and time and time again, it's been shown a good discovery is always rewarded by the market, independently of what the gold price has done overnight, last week or last month. Meanwhile, copper has got real interesting of late, rising to seven-year highs. What averaged $2.50 a pound in the June half is now $3.43 a pound. So having an active copper project in its portfolio at a time of price strength for red metal is a real plus for Zenith. There's lots to talk about. So with that, I'm going to say good day to Peter and welcome him to the podcast. Good day, Peter, and thanks for your time today. Uh, hi, Barry. Nice to speak to you. Great. Now, Peter, um, always good to start out, I think, if you could just tell us a bit about your professional background and what was behind that recent decision for you to step up from non-exec director to executive chairman at Zenith. Yeah, thanks, Barry. So uh, my background originally is technical, having come out of uh, one of the big companies, Western Mining, uh, many years ago. Uh, I then transitioned into the finance industry through uh, stockbroking at Merrill Lynch and then returned to, to the resources industry at the executive level, both at Newcrest Mining and Normandy Mining in the heady days uh, of the previous gold boom. And in the uh, more recent period, uh, I've been at the small end of the market. And as, as we know, um, it's been a, a reasonably quiet period in that space. But uh, as Barry just mentioned, we're moving back into a very uh, busy period and an exciting period, both in the precious and base metals space. Um, recently, uh, which is what Barry's referring to, I moved from a non-executive uh, director position at Zenith when I joined in April of this year to executive chairman. Um, and the reason for that move was simply that Zenith uh, maintains quite a small uh, management team. Uh, and as earlier mentioned, uh, we recently raised some money, uh, which has allowed us to step up activity levels. But one of the, the immediate knock-on impacts of then is, 
of that is that the workload has accelerated sort of exponentially as well. And so we made a management decision that uh, with the increase in load that Mick Clifford, who is CEO or managing director, would focus uh, heavily on the technical side of things and I would assist him in the corporate and market related uh, areas just to spread the load because the load's increased quite dramatically. Right. Now, in your uh, your uh, shortened version there of your career, you, you forgot to mention that you were, in fact, Australia's top-rated gold analyst in 1998, so you're older than you look. Yeah, um, yeah well, I was late dyeing my hair grey recently, Barry. That's right. Uh, you're, at, you're at Merrill Lynch at the time, and uh, gold averaged US 295 an ounce that year, and, of course, we're at $1,700, $1,800 gold now. I was just wondering... How back in the day did you manage to recommend anything at those sort of gold prices? Well, it's interesting. It's a good question, Barry. I mean, it was uh, at that time, it was a reasonably depressed price, but there were still some very good opportunities. And what sort of astounds me, particularly about the Australian industry, is its ability to continually sort of discover new projects uh, that make you know good good money at sort of all points in the in the cycle, and there were some great stories back then uh, for those of you who were following um, the gold sector, but I think it's equally the case now. Um, we're seeing some really exciting stories and great discoveries, and, and I'm sure we'll come to it in a minute, but um, even in the Zenith portfolio, there's two brand new discoveries in a you know in the portfolio that have not been found before. Yeah, yeah. it is remarkable how the industry has that ability to uh, reinvent itself. I was just wondering, you do have a technical background, but with your marketing and uh, corporate skills that you've developed over the years, I was just wondering, with juniors generally, do you think the marketing side of the business is uh, adequately done? Um, It it seems that a lot of juniors either just uh, focus on their projects and don't talk to anyone or talk too much about their projects. There's obviously a balance that needs to be done, but um, it's always, in this market, when you compare it to the Canadians, who probably over-promote, I just wonder whether juniors here generally do promotion properly. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good question. I, I think you've touched on an interesting point because, and you're exactly right, there are generally two end members, those that don't promote at all and they're highly technical, and those that promote very heavily and perhaps um, a bit early, and, and one of the one of the things I think all juniors struggle with, which is why we made the decision we did, is that you tend to be running relatively small teams, and by definition, have a more limited skill base, which is also by necessity heavily technically based. So to get that broad skill set is unusual, and sometimes a bit hard to do in small companies and uh, as I said that's why we did what we did is we've sort of split the split the functions a bit because we recognize that each one requires each area requires a, some skills um, and one person can't do everything and what we were noticing is that for Mick uh, Clifford our CEO the load was just rising and rising um, and something has to give so we felt it was just prudent to do that and I think you know, if we have success with our projects, clearly that will demand broadening our skill base again as we advance. Mm, okay. Uh, I get the impression looking at the portfolio projects that uh, generally mostly uh, self-generated over the last three years or so? 
Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. So would you like me to touch on each one? Yeah, uh, you've got a lot to talk about, but um, I guess in terms of ranking based on activity levels, we've got what, Red Mountain in Queensland, uh, the Gold Silver Project. That's a good one to start with, I think. Yeah, so Red Red Mountain is in a pretty good address, surrounded by uh, projects like Mount Rawdon, Krakow, uh, Mount Wright, uh, for, for those people that know that that part of the world. And surprisingly, it's a virgin discovery. It was discovered by the Zenith team, self-generated in the earlier part of this calendar year. Um, as the name suggests, Red Mountain, it was a wasn't really a mountain, but it was a red hill out in the paddock that uh, they mm -hmm. decided to sample and uh, guess what? It's mineralised. So the, the sort of thing we're looking at there is analogous to a Mount Wright type project. So for those of you who don't know Mount Wright, um, it was a, a little over a million ounce um, ore body uh, that was cigar or sausage shaped standing vertically in the earth. Um, we're still at a very early stage in our uh, work on it, but uh, as announced yesterday, we're we're moving to diamond drill uh, that project down below the initial uh, good drilling, and if that's successful, you know we'll push on push on to depth. But the objective really there is a higher grade or high grade um, gold project that uh, could lend itself, you know, one would hope to both open pit and underground. But it's early, but uh, we will be active drilling that well into next calendar year. Right. So a bit different to what people will be used to in WA gold fields, I guess, where you chase a, a shear zone for kilometres and kilometres. This would have a, a small surface expression. And... Yeah, Barry, it, it does. Very small. In fact, the anomaly that we're drilling um, is only about 1.2 kilometres overall in length at the surface. But as I said, if, if, if it's consistent with what we're thinking, it, it may well extend uh, to depth, but you're right. It's a completely different style to that of the Archean shear-hosted things in uh, Western Australia. Mm. Now that part of the world's got a, a history of high grade, uh, as well as uh, you know, um, bulk grade, low grade. Uh, what what sort of target do you think you've got here at Red Mountain? Yeah, well, as I said, you know, one would hope. But we you know, we can't say this with any conviction at this point in time, but. The sort of target we're looking at is sort of greater than, you know, half a million ounces. If if the project uh, evolves like some of these other projects in that area, um, but we're really only down about a hundred vertical meters in the in the journey, and it's a virgin discovery, so it's pretty early. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the model we're chasing, and uh, I suppose it's a watch this space as we drill it. Mm -hmm. If we keep having success, uh, we'd be pretty happy. Yeah, and drilling, uh, diamond core drilling uh, continues there? Yeah, so we just kicked off diamond. Um, in fact, we made an announcement yesterday uh, that we're doing some uh, diamond drilling uh, and we'd be hopeful um, that we'd have some results um, pre-Christmas, but let's see, it just depends how quick the, the labs are with returning the, the results. Mm. Okay. Now, uh, switching focus to Split Rocks Gold Project in WA. What have you got there? Yeah, so Split Rocks is, as as we were just sort of discussing, it's a classic uh, Archean-hosted shear-type deposit. So the area is located just to the south uh, of Southern Cross, so that's roughly halfway between Kalgoorlie and, and Perth, and uh, it's in the Archean greenstone belts. Um, again, 
some very good work by our technical team. Um, in fact, the Virgin Discovery in the latter part of last calendar year, um, we've got in this year and drilled, uh, we've, sorry, we've defined 18 targets um, over 18 kilometres um, of strike length. And we moved in on the sort of, if you like, the hottest target first, which is called the Dulce Laterite Pit area. Um, ironically, the area has not re really been heavily sampled for gold previous to us. And we've defined a target with air core drilling that's um, about two kilometres long, a shear zone, outcrops at surface, and uh, we know it, it runs down to about 300 metres down the plane of the shear structure. So um, the, the activity that will take place there between again now and um, well into next calendar year is uh, percussion drilling. So we would be hoping to move back there and start drilling that. Uh, prior to Christmas to see whether or not we can extend this into depth. Um, the sort of model for this, if people are trying to visualise it, is not unlike uh, the company called Capricorn Metals in Western Australia who's defined a similar sort of animal, um, and that's the type of project we're chasing. So it would be a low, if it, if it uh, evolves as we would hope, it would be a low strip ratio, broad, broadly mineralised shear zone that you could mine with open cut methods. So that's that's the sort of target we're chasing. Right. Okay. And just to be short, drilling is underway there as well at the moment? Uh, we've done a round of drilling, but we'll recommence drilling shortly, um, which is we, we've made mention of that in previous announcements. And we would then, uh, I think, be pretty active on a, on a rolling basis there well in the next calendar year. Right. Okay. And it's uh, making... Coming back over this side of the uh, country, Jack, what is it, Jack Deggery in New South Wales? Yeah. yeah, so Jack Adry is a, uh, is a, an earlier stage project. So the first two we talked about are, are our most advanced and therefore high, highest probability projects. Uh, Jack Adry is a project picked up by the team and it's part of their uncanny ability to do it, um, where we've picked up some country in uh, northern New South Wales where historic Trenching results over 160 metres have defined mineralisation over that length of 1.2 grams per tonne gold wow. and not a drill hole in it. So we would be hoping that uh, in the early part of next calendar year, we'll start some drilling underneath that historic. Um, mm. When we say historic trench result, how historic was it? Uh, sort of in the past 20 years, it was done prior to prior to us picking the property up. So we only actually picked the property up this calendar year. Okay, and no drilling beneath the trench. Nothing, nothing at all, Barry. So uh, we're pretty keen to get in and have a look. Okay, is that uh, like the other two, 100% owned? Uh, that one's actually 90% owned. Uh, the other two are 100% owned. Right. Okay. Now the uh, copper. Um, Devlin Creek in Queensland. Uh, I understand you've got a jork resource there and a maiden draw test of a, a new prospect there called Snook. Snook, so, that's right. Um, so, so we, yeah, so so we um, we've had the Devlin Creek uh, VMS uh, style copper zinc project in the portfolio for a number of years, and the recent capital raising has allowed us to. Um, start advancing activities on that. We're very bullish about the copper market longer term. Um, so the original resource um, is about 1.6 million tonnes uh, 
1.8% copper or thereabouts. Um, there was a surface, high-grade surface copper uh, assay at Snook, which is along the sort of 50-kilometre perspective zone that we control. And we've just recently completed some drilling at Snook. We're awaiting assays, so that's something to look out for in the shorter term. Um, but the trick with these VMS-style systems is you tend to get a lot of high-grade pods that occur in, a, in an area. So if you can put enough of those pods or swarms uh, together, you've got enough tonnage to, uh, to exploit. So uh, that, that'll be the name of the game there. Um, it's a matter of just moving forward gently on these VMS systems and understanding them well, and then you can get in and uh, hopefully put, aggregate them and, and have something that's mineable. Mm. Does it have a production history at all? Not at all, Barry. No, it's it, again, it's virgin, um, and uh, there are a number of pretty interesting and various style copper projects in Queensland. But again, this is a virgin project, right? And sorry, you know, drilling at Snook is that's underway now. As drilling at Snook, we've just done the first uh, part of drilling, which was uh, seven holes, has just been completed, but we're awaiting assays. And then subject to the assays, uh, we will probably do one of two things, either get back in there pretty quickly drilling or get back there drilling and do some geophysics because we've just got to get a good understanding of the orientation of the mineralisation. Mm, okay. And just a bit of guesswork here, I guess. What sort of tonnage would you need in that part of the world to have a project, you think? Yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a guess, Barry, but we'd be sort of, at least as a first step, target something of the order of you know 10 million tons um mm. we've got a couple of million tons already defined uh but if we can get up to that level then you've sort of got a ball game uh to play with and you know run some good numbers around to exploit right and i mentioned uh copper's uh, price strength i think it's caught a lot of people well most people by surprise on the basis that I think most people were looking for around 22, 23 for that supply challenge to uh, start taking effect. But what do you make of this run-up from that June half average of 250 a pound to 343 today? Yeah, so it's really interesting, Copper, and it's perhaps a lot of listeners might not understand, but it's it's the biggest base metal market in the world. Um, consumption's about 24 million tonnes per annum into traditional markets, which is things like pipe and wire. Um, and the copper market consumption has been growing since the 1950s at a rate of somewhere between one and a half and two and a half percent real. So if you do your maths quickly, that means every year you, at, at the current point in time, you need about 400,000 tonnes of new production just to satisfy base level demand. And that's excluding um, things such as the Green Revolution. Um, in electricity and electric mm -hmm. vehicles. So I'm the reason I'm bullish copper is just for that that reason. There's just not many mines of 400,000 tonnes per annum found every year. Um, and we obviously had a supply disruption in South America that it's caused that recent um, fill-up or positive move in the price. But I think longer term, that's the way it's going to go. Copper is, copper is going to be strong. And I think particularly um, post or as a as a reaction to COVID, there'll be a lot of infrastructure spending that will take place um, around the world by by lots of governments, and uh, that's also going to uh, sort of underpin uh, that commodity. Mm. 
And as uh, as you know, there's a shortage of uh, good copper prospects projects in Australia. I was just wondering, you're proceeding at Devlin Creek on a 100% basis. Is that uh, the current intention to perhaps get the exploration drive up the value chain before considering JVs or continue 100%? Yeah, I, I think at this stage, one of the great strengths of the team is the ability to identify and prove up these things. So at this stage, it makes very good sense to keep it within the fold. Um, I suppose the, the answer to the second part of your question really depends on how big it turns out to be, mm. uh, and that'll dictate our direction. But at this stage, it'll stay 100%. Um, if it turns into a big monster, well, that'll be a good problem. Yeah, nice one to have. Um, okay, let's uh, bring it all together. If we could, in a sort of a three-month, six-month outlook, what should investors uh, be looking out for? Yeah, well, I, th- I think three months, um, and as you mentioned at, at the outset, uh, we recently raised about $5 million. So we're very well funded to sort of advance um, our leading projects, which we've touched on today, up the, up the value chain. So particularly in the next three months, you're going to have drill results out of um, Red Mountain, Split Rocks and Devlin Creek. Um, so they'll, they'll be sort of, if you like, the point of news or the, or the focal points. And then as each one of those evolves and depending on each how one evolves, I think then we'll focus on, you know, is act, are the activity levels going to, you know, escalate at one or more than one of those projects? So a six-month program, is really driven by news on precious and base metal activity. Right. Okay. Okay, Pete. Well, thanks for that. Um, obviously, there's a, a lot to look out for, the, for in the remainder of this year and into next year as the, the drilling programs continue. So uh, that's Zenith, a company seemingly well on the road to discovery. So thanks again, Peter, for your time and best wishes for you and the company going forward. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much, Barry.